Hi, everyone. Welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today is our last installment in Mae Dunaway. We'll be talking about some of her thriller movies, which I'm excited to dive into. But the theme is Faye prefers blondes because (laughs) she loves her... (laughs) Leading co-star Robert Redford and Steve McQueen. So we will be discussing The Thomas Crown Affair, The Towering Inferno, and Three Days of the Condor. I love this title. This is great work from you coming up with the name. (laughs) But yeah, I'm excited to talk about these three movies. I think, you know, all three of them are awards players in different ways. It's interesting to think about Faye in these movies because... She's a co-lead in The Thomas Crown Affair. You could maybe make the case that she's sort of a co-lead in Three Days of the Condor. But she's sort of taking a backseat in these movies compared to the movies that we've talked about recently. Like Supergirl and Mommy Dearest, where Faye is just giving her all. These are a bit more, a bit more subtle. So I'm excited to dig into these. Yeah, we do get to see some range from Faye in these movies compared to the ones we've covered already where I feel like she's at an 8 to a 10 the entire time which I do love so it'll be interesting how those compare but also yeah the Oscars had fun with these in not the ways that I would have so again (laughs) with the title we might as well have some fun while we're doing it too. (laughs) Exactly so let's get started with the Thomas Crown Affair from 1968 Description here, a debonair, adventuresome bank executive believes he has pulled off the perfect multi-million dollar heist, only to match wits with a sexy insurance investigator will do anything to get her man. Interesting description. This was directed by Norman Jewison and stars Faye Dunaway and Steve McQueen. This won one Oscar for original song for The Windmills of Your Mind. It was also nominated for original score for a motion picture, not a musical. Was this your first time watching the Thomas Crown Affair? And had you see, have you seen the remake with Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo? So I haven't seen the remake, but that is the one I always think about. I've seen either the VHS cover or the poster so many times. And when I told my mom that we were watching this, she's like, oh, the Pierce Brosnan one. I'm like, no, the original one. (laughs) So it did feel like a throwback, and I've always wanted to see the remake. Do you prefer the original or the remake? I definitely prefer the original. But the remake, I do remember so well because of the cover, like you were talking about. I feel like Mm -hmm. when we grew up, this was a really popular movie at Blockbuster or places like that. I can picture that cover so clearly in my mind with Pierce Brosnan's face. But no, I do prefer this one. I actually don't love this movie. I love the aesthetic of this movie. I really love Faye's costumes. She had dozens of costume changes throughout the movie. And I think she's maybe the most glamorous insurance investigator to ever be on film. But overall as a film, I feel like Steve McQueen for me here... He kind of falls flat. I don't know. He doesn't pull me in in the way that I expect an actor in a role like this to do so. Because Mm -hmm. it's he's not Bond here, but the, the film itself feels like it could be in the sort of Bond sphere, in the Bond universe, if you will. 
but it doesn't have any of the fun. It's sort of missing that. And because of Steve McQueen, I just, I get kind of bored with this one really quickly. Did you watch Papillon for our 73 episode? I did watch it, but I watched it after the episode. Again, I had seen it years ago. I watched it again after the Smasher Pass segment when you said you preferred (laughs) Dustin Hoffman because I had to go back and watch and just see what I was dealing with there. So is that a McQueen performance that you're more into? Honestly, I'm more into him in The Towering Inferno, which we'll talk about. (laughs) I do agree that this is the most stylized Mm -hmm. film that I've seen in a while, especially from the 60s. And I think it's a bit much. I was like, okay, it's an opening title sequence. This is fine. And then they tried to do it the entire movie. And I was like, calm down. I don't know why we're doing all of this with a story that didn't necessarily need it. And I think it could have gone further in other ways. The heist was great. They pulled it off. But then this story halfway through, I mean, we only meet Faye at the 35 minute mark. And she's this insurance investigator. She's kind of undercover trying to expose Thomas Crown. But it turns into this romance drama, which you know I'm just not into. And it kind of reminded me Mm -hmm. of Decision to Leave. And it's that falling in love with the bad guy. And I was like, yes, he has the money. But I don't know. There was something I just couldn't buy into. And the fact that she does in the end when they warned her the entire time, I was like... Really, like, she's smarter than that. And I think Faye is smarter than that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's hard because that's a trope I tend to like, I suppose. Definitely more than you do. But here, so a couple of things. One, I agree with you. I feel like Faye is too smart as an actress. Mm-hmm. And her character, Vicky, is supposed to be really smart, theoretically. So it she folds too quickly. I think everything sort of falls apart in a way that didn't really make sense for me so number one i actually love the editing so hal ashby my my hero my king one of my favorite directors was one of the editors on the film and i love how stylish that looks but you're right i think the story itself can't really hold that it's in a similar way i think to puzzle of a downfall child where you have a lot of style and the story there just isn't strong enough to hold that necessarily and the heist is great when you have all the split screens with the phone booths and you know they're organizing everything putting everything together and then after that when it becomes this romance between McQueen and Dunaway's characters it's sort of just all about luxury and the way it looks and I understand that like it's all about taste and the clothing and this I think there's so many like beautiful scenes in this movie and Mm -hmm. it's sort of known I think for the chess match scene but even even the story behind that (laughs) like Norman Jewison just wanted to film the longest kiss ever like that was the point (laughs) just like okay like why like maybe maybe have another (laughs) another reason here but I think Overall, though, you know, we've talked about Faye Dunaway's co-stars having really negative experiences with her on set. This is an exception to that rule. Steve McQueen spoke very fondly of Faye Dunaway, even though he didn't necessarily want to work with her at first. He cited her as a really great actress and they had a positive time 
filming together. She also loved working with him and said it's one of her favorite movie making experiences as well. And I think part of the reason why it's easy to be disappointed in this movie a little bit, at least for me, is that you have Steve McQueen, who's sort of at the height of his powers, Faye Dunaway coming off of Bonnie and Clyde, Norman Jewison coming off of In the Heat of the Night, and then you get this. It just doesn't feel like it really measures up to what the three of them could do. I think it had all the elements of being that next big thing. And making $14 million at the box office, I guess, on a $4 million budget is fine. I kind of would have expected more for this kind of a movie for that time. But I do like Faye's performance. And yeah, she really does look amazing. She looks younger than she does in Bonnie and Clyde, which I think is because she's elevated. She's wearing all of these heightened costumes and her hat game is on point it is really fun to watch at times but yeah it just didn't stick the landing for me so if you could give this movie one oscar would it be for Faye? it wouldn't be for Faye in this case they could have utilized her more and again the character arc could have been a lot stronger i really do like the original song the windmills of your mind i was gonna joke and ask if you were gonna pick that but you actually <laughs> would great i love it <laughs> Because it's the title song, Mm -hmm. but then they use it in the movie, which I loved. And it's giving me this Simon and Garfunkel graduate vibe, too, which, of course, I love that. So it's a little mysterious. And when you first hear it, I don't know, it kind of fits like the whole Bond theme, too, and that you're getting into this spy thriller. So I like that. Would you have awarded Faye? I wouldn't have. So I I love Faye in this movie. I think she is the shining star if we're just looking at the cast. But I would actually give it to Hal Ashby, Ralph E. Winters, and Byron Brandt for editing. I think the editing really stands out and it makes this movie something worth watching and worth checking out. I imagine at the time especially that this was something that audiences were struck by and found really creative. Editing like this comes up later on in the 70s, for sure. But in the 60s, in the late 60s, this was very, very inventive editing. And yeah, it makes it makes the movie more fun, especially at the beginning. And I do like this scene near the end in the cemetery and the editing there where they're working their way up into mm-hmm. thinking they're capturing him. And Faye opens the door and it cuts and yeah, I do really like that scene too. Okay, so The Towering Inferno, we'll talk about that next from 1974. Description here, at the opening party of a colossal but poorly constructed office building, a massive fire breaks out that threatens to destroy the tower and everyone in it. It was directed by John Guillermin. It stars Faye Dunaway, Paul Newman, Steve McQueen, William Holden, Fred Astaire, and more. This won three Oscars for cinematography, film editing, and original song. The song is titled We May Never Love Like This Again, and it was nominated for five others. Picture, supporting actor for Astaire, who won the Golden Globe, art direction, set decoration, sound, and original dramatic score by John Williams. Wild. His range. (laughs) (laughs) So what are your thoughts on this movie? Because neither of us had seen it before. No, this was a brand new watch. So I had always heard about the Towering Inferno for years because it was so popular. Not just in 1974, but I feel like it's had this 
this life as part of the 70s disaster movie genre. Like, these movies were major. This and the Poseidon Adventure. So I had always heard of it. And in being an Oscar film, but I had always heard rumblings from individuals that I will not specify here in my family who (laughs) thought it was absolutely egregious that the Towering Inferno won specific Oscars (laughs) over... Simonello family favorite Chinatown and The Godfather Part 2. So I don't know. I'll get my Oscar stuff out of the way now and then actually talk about the movie itself. But the fact that The Towering Inferno won cinematography over Chinatown is one of the worst Oscar decisions that I think about because you know I'm hard on I was hard on Dune for winning cinematography and editing when I didn't think it deserved those. And all quiet on the Western front for getting these technical awards, but who I would have mm-hmm. I would have had a hard time if I were watching the Oscars in 1975 to deal with these two technical wins over Chinatown in The Godfather Part Two, two perfect movies. All of that to say, though, Oscars aside, I do think that this movie is way too long. It is absolutely endless. I mean, I I can find a world where you cut 45 minutes to an hour from this movie and it has the same impact, maybe even better because it's shorter. But I did start to have fun with it as I was watching it. I enjoyed my time, I think specifically for Paul Newman. Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, you could tell, were very into this movie. They acted like they were in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Or a movie that was very high caliber drama, not a silly adventure disaster movie. And I do think that makes the movie better. And like there are certain scenes where Paul Newman is just going around rescuing people. And I loved watching that. I screamed when O.J. Simpson showed up. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how I missed the fact that he was in that. I, or I didn't see his name somehow in the opening credits, but... I did scream when he appeared. But yeah, I think I do prefer this, I will say, to a lot of the bigger movies that come out today that have just these, I don't know, movie stars, in quotes, who aren't actually movie stars, like Chris Pratt and Ryan Reynolds. They're not doing what Paul Newman can do. I'm sorry. Like, I would rather see William Holden yelling terrible lines of dialogue at someone than Paul Rudd. I just would. That's just that's just how I am. So I think even though I find so many flaws in this movie and think it has no place in a conversation with Chinatown or The Godfather Part Two as one of the great movies of 1974, I was entertained. And I didn't even mention Faye, which is a problem. She's not in the movie enough. We could have had more Faye. She's barely in the movie. They're spotlighting all of these actors. I cannot believe Fred Astaire won the Golden Globe and was nominated. (laughs) His performance is nearly forgettable. I can't believe he was nominated either. That just is such a strange choice. I would say just to pick that performance. If you're going to single out one, for me, it's McQueen or Newman here. This was his only nomination ever. That's when you really, you wonder about the Academy. But he had won an honorary 25 years prior. (laughs) Oscars are an Oscar. That is a perfect (laughs) example of a big star 
who you've never awarded before, and suddenly they're in the biggest movie of the year. Here's a nomination. And the fact that he won the Golden Globe with De Niro winning the Oscar for The Godfather Part Two, obviously. It's like, how did Astaire win that? Also, why did he take John Huston's spot for Chinatown? This is not a Chinatown <laughs> podcast. We'll be doing that next year. But really? Are you serious? And The Godfather Part Two not getting even nominated for cinematography. Ooh, that's it's yeah. crazy. Our seventy four rewind episode next year will be a this, lot of fun. I was gonna say this mm-hmm. year is gonna be wild. But okay, my thoughts on the movie. You say it's like that game show. It's like name that tune with how many notes, and you're <laughs> like, let's cut forty five minutes to an hour. I'm like, let's up it. Let's cut at least 90 minutes out of this movie. That's more than half of the movie. (laughs) Is it? This movie is so long. It is really long. But also, it's so funny. I really, I don't even think it's meant to be a comedy at all, but there were parts where I thought, oh, this is actually really fun. I don't know if it's supposed to be at times. It feels, well, I think thinking about it it's sort of impossible to look at this movie through a 2023 lens because Mm. this is just so so dated and i think when i put myself in the shoes of someone watching this movie in 1974 and just seeing all of these actors that i love that's what lets me have fun with it it's hard too because there isn't really they'll just kind of cut away to explosions or like little fires in the building and it's sort of I think in a similar way to mommy dearest it's kind of hard to tell how time is passing in this movie (laughs) (laughs) and where we are but I also am just I am obsessed with movies where people in power know that they did something wrong but they cover it up or don't think it's a big deal and then everyone else ends up paying for it it's like on the good end of that you have titanic (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought of that when I was watching. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't really have a story at the core of it like Titanic does. This has 25 celebrities just in this burning building refusing to leave. With different subplots. Like there's the mm-hmm. whole building owner and his stepson. And then there's a romance. And then there's this other couple that's stranded in an apartment. Mm-hmm. And then there's the cat and the kids with the mom. And then there's the deaf mom with her kids and it's like there is so much happening in this building yeah and then there's oj oh my god just yeah from the story from william holden's character who owns the building and he's obviously made this mistake and someone's like well why didn't you get everybody out when you could have and he's like and two hours later we're still trying to get people out of this building (laughs) it's like okay i think you're You've made your point at this point. Like the old couple who the husband sends the wife down in the elevator. He's like, when have I ever lied to you? Or when have I never not fallen through? And she's like, oh, never. It's like there are these such sappy moments that are so overdrawn. But there is one other casting shocker that I noticed right away. He has some big scenes with William Holden. So he is the couple that gets stranded. He was like, I ran a 10 second, 100 meter dash. I can make it through these flames. And then he like dies because he's oh, yeah. caught in the fire. And I like how the camera goes outside of the of the building and we see him just like flailing. 
on running around. Oh my god! Like on the one hand, all of these fire scenes are one really cool for the time. I think the effects mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. Two, they're really funny. But three, they're extremely dark. Some of these deaths are awful. Yeah. Like the mom just falling out of the elevator. Oh my god! And the kids are like, "Mommy," and it's like, "Oh my god." <laughs> This is traumatizing. It is traumatizing, but you know, there are real stakes. Not like the movies today where they bring the people back. (laughs) Okay, but getting back to the guy who died aflame. I don't know if I recognized him. He's number two from Austin Powers. I don't know Austin Powers well (laughs) enough, but I I love that. That's great. (laughs) See, you grew up with... Mildred Pierce and Mommy Dearest, and I was watching Austin Powers. (laughs) I love it. It balances out. But yeah, I mean, this movie, wow, I do have to read one of my favorite lines that I wrote down. And Steve McQueen says, it's a fire, mister, and all fires are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the final lines was the chief going, you know, we were lucky tonight. Body counts less than 200. I'm like, 200 people died? You didn't capture that in your two hour 45 minute runtime but then he goes you know one of these days you're gonna kill ten thousand in one of these fire traps and he goes on and on and i'm like okay we get it mm-hmm. yeah we get it i do love when the man catches fire at the party and just dies in front of all those people and they just stand there like nothing happened <laughs> coming out of the elevator yeah right? yeah oh you're so right like all of these scenes when that elevator opens on that floor mm-hmm Like, they just told you not to get in the elevator. And I think it was Paul Newman's character who points the fire hose at the elevator. But there's this huge flame that goes in. Like, it really is like camp to an extent. I just, I feel like, again, going back to how it would have felt watching this in 1974. I imagine this was really fun, though. The effects are fun. They might not look great to us today, but... Again, I kind of love how the production design looks at parts where everything has just fallen to pieces. And Mm -hmm. I find a lot of charm in that that dated sort of (laughs) look where they, I don't know, there was just a lot of, you could tell that all of these actors were really having fun with it. And I do think they're all genuinely great in it, including Faye. I was rude about Fred Astaire earlier, but I do think he's really good in this movie. I just am always sad that John Huston wasn't nominated for Chinatown in supporting. He's just a smaller celebrity appearance in the movie, and he really doesn't do much. I think that's the problem with this movie is that there are so many characters and that no one really does enough. They all have smallish parts. Paul Newman does so much. I mean, it's Paul and He's Steve. He's hanging from a ladder. It is their movie. Rescuing those kids. <laughs> All these scenes are like 10 minutes long. It's like, we don't need it. We don't. <laughs> the scenes are long. Like that scene that I just was mentioning of him hanging from that ladder and he's like moving mm-hmm. the two yeah. kids and the mom across. This could have been they go one by one. 45 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we do this episode next season, the other big disaster movie this year was Earthquake. It got four nominations. It won one of those. And it's led by Charlton Heston and Ava Gardner. So we have plenty of time to watch this now. That's so funny that you say this because I was telling my mom earlier that we were doing an episode with The Towering Inferno and Three Days of the Condor. We went off on our tangent about Robert Redford, of course. 
But then with the Towering Inferno, she said, is Charlton Heston in that? Oh, wow. And then we realized (laughs) that he was in Earthquake (laughs) instead, which my mom mentioned, like, she saw the Towering Inferno in theaters when she was, like, Hmm. 13, like, really young. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the box office for this, $200 on a $14 million budget. So, crazy. yeah, this really is, like, the superhero movie of the 70s. And it's better. And yeah, we barely talked about her, but if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be for Faye? So it would not be for Faye, but we do have to talk about her a little bit because I do think she's really good in this movie. And honestly, she looks amazing the entire time. This is what you want if you're a movie star in a disaster film. You want to look absolutely perfect, even when you're covered in like soot from a fire and your dress is falling apart. You want to still look as beautiful as ever and have a man like Paul Newman, who's rescuing all these people. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that's the goal. I made a joke earlier on Letterboxd that the building got too hot with Paul Newman inside, so it had to catch fire. (laughs) I wanted to share that with you, of course. And I do think, again, like she's she's very committed to this part. There's a moment when she's talking to this woman who's lying on the ground in a pink dress and you can just tell Faye believes she was just in a burning building you can just feel it (laughs) from her (laughs) I don't know if she did any sort of method acting for this but I really believed her in this movie but if I could give this movie one Oscar I have to eliminate the 74 Oscars from my mind and just think of what is the best part of this movie I think I would give the Oscar to Paul Newman. It's hard for me to say a tech because I don't think the editing or the cinematography really stand out to me like they did to the rest of the Academy. And Paul Newman was my favorite one to watch. I feel like I do have to give it to an actor because they are the ones who make it worth watching. So I feel like I have to pick one. Yeah, I'll go with Paul Newman. Okay. I would also not give mine to Faye, but I do have to say in the final scene where she's on the elevator and it's stopped there's a moment where she's holding the child and Mm -hmm. she's looking out in the distance like past the camera and i feel like you can see her strained behind her eyes like get me out of here and then she snaps back into it and she has (laughs) like she almost wants to laugh (laughs) oh my god and she reels it in (laughs) and she has this somber face again i'm like wow this is kind of cool like All these women in this elevator are pulling it off. Like, they actually are making me think that they're in an elevator about to die. So, good on Faye. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I would give it to. So, Earthquake got a special award for visual effects because there was no visual effect category yet. Mm -hmm. I would start the category this year, give it to Towering Inferno. I guess we'll see by next year if I like Earthquake more. But I thought all of the explosions, there are so many. The water at the end especially, mm-hmm. I'm like, how are they pulling this off? Because there isn't CGI Mm-mm. and it really does look like there is water just falling down this building and through the center of it. And to see it all extinguished is actually like a really cool moment and finale to 
everything that's happened. I was going to say that's cheating, but I think that's fair. <laughs> I do think if we were doing visual effects, I agree. Because I do feel like it is really cool. I prefer how these things look to just this overdone, colorful CGI that we get today. Mm-hmm. Okay, on to our last movie, Three Days of the Condor from 1975. Description here, a bookish CIA researcher in Manhattan finds all his co-workers dead and must outwit those responsible until he figures out who he can really trust. This was directed by Sidney Pollack and stars Faye Dunaway, Robert Redford, Max von Sydow, and John Houseman. It was nominated for film editing at the Oscars, and Faye was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Drama. Like we said in a previous episode... Faye is a favorite of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. (laughs) So had you seen Three Days of the Condor before? And what did you think of it? I hadn't seen it before. But like you said early on this episode, this is my favorite movie of the three by far. I think it also gets a bit jumbled at the end and a little bit too techy and all of its ways of making Condor find out who is framing him. But I mostly think how we get there works and i do like Faye the most in this movie as well she's really convincing as somebody who is kidnapped in a situation again i'm not a fan of the romantic twist in the middle (laughs) i was gonna ask you about this (laughs) who is gonna sleep with this guy who is literally just kidnapped you less than a day ago but the way that she plays into it goes undercover goes into the cia to find the boss like I love that. And then finally her and Redford, like really working together, Mm -hmm. sells it for me. Totally. Okay. So in her book, Looking for Gatsby, which I got from the library, Mm -hmm. she talked about this, how she was supposed to be really scared in the scene when she's kidnapped by Turner, forced back into her apartment, and he he like ties her up Mm -hmm. and everything. And she was supposed to be really scared, but she said... Now, I'm sorry, but the idea of being kidnapped and ravaged by Robert Redford was anything but frightening. <laughs> I totally see So she see really that. had to act in that to make it believable that she was afraid. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's Robert Redford. I feel like mm-hmm. it's so believable when they're two very hot, lonely people trapped in an apartment. I don't know. That kind of makes sense to me. Like, I can believe that he works for the CIA. I can even believe that he reads books and journals and magazines for a job. These are all great things. (laughs) But I can't really believe that. I mean, things get kind of rapey in there, and it's not great. And then it just clicks, and the next morning... I don't know. Well, I so that was was a direction. Like, that was in the script that she was supposed to communicate like a fear of him him raping her like that was supposed to be what Mm. we felt from it but again i don't know i feel like it kind of again like makes sense for these two lonely people if you were played by i don't know even like gene hackman or john cazale peter falk even men that women could believably be into in a movie and it wouldn't be a stretch i would maybe believe it less But there's just something about Robert Redford being there that makes you believe that anyone, no matter the circumstance, would sleep with him. 
I think that's my one note is that if we had a little bit of a hardened actor, I would have been okay with it because it's way more believable. And they can also pull off the espionage stuff and all of that later on. Like we did have Gene Hackman in the conversation, which is like he's listening there as well. So that would really fit well, actually. Um, Also talk about another Another great movie, Paid Dust at the Oscars, The Conversation. Mm-hmm. Great Coppola. But yeah, I, I really like how tight this film is. And I, I love these 70s paranoia thrillers, like The Parallax View, All the President's Men. Those are Alan J. Pakula, but I feel like Sidney Pollack here does a really good job of starting this film right away. And it starts with a bang. Like, he, he gets... Mm-hmm. Those people break in and kill everyone. He gets back and you're just, you hit the ground running. And that's what I love about a lot of these movies is that they are action packed and really suspenseful, but they also have deeper political messages that make them timely really in any era that you're watching them. So even though this movie takes place in the seventies, it still feels very relevant today. I also love the New York setting here mm-hmm. and i love that Faye's character lives in brooklyn heights not mm-hmm. far from me i was imagining <laughs> them going to her apartment but yeah i i think overall though this is the best movie that we've talked about today for sure it is really well made and i i really like Faye dunaway's performance here too in addition to robert redford's and we talked recently about Robert Redford not getting enough credit as an actor. His only acting nomination was for The Sting. But I think he's he's wonderful here. He's just so, so pretty that it's really hard to see him sometimes in these bureaucratic roles, like mm-hmm. jobs in these movies. Honestly, like even in All the President's Men, you're like men who look like this do not work at the Washington Post. I'm going to have to suspend my disbelief for a second, but that's okay. I think he's great, though. I've talked about the fashion in this movie. I love him. His like floppy blonde hair. Uh, mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful man. And he and Faye Dunaway, I think, are great together. I think they play off of each other really well. Again, like I mentioned, they're these like two isolated people who've clearly experienced loss and feel really lonely at that time and I like how I know you mentioned it being kind of quick but I like how she kind of gets on board right away with him and and how she goes to meet Higgins and convinces him to get into the car I like how she isn't just this supporting female character Mm -hmm. like Faye again really is committed to the role and gives her all and makes the character maybe more than it was on paper like even again just communicating things through her eyes like we've talked about in all of her films she i think really really shows how fearful she is how intrigued she is by him and i love that about her and about this performance in this movie to me this is the most 90s 70s movie that i've ever seen (laughs) what Please explain. <laughs> At first, Faye is pretty frail, and we don't get like the Faye that we've seen mm-hmm. of the films that we've talked about, but she does step up to the plate. I do like that. Like, second half of the movie for Faye is wonderful. I love it. But then 
we get this forced romance, I feel, when the movie is very political and we don't necessarily need multiple genres happening. But just the politics of everything, like Watergate had just happened, so I get the hysteria behind that and how that plays in and why this movie was made so quickly after the novel came out. And then I guess part of that is in the script and at the end, how Max von Sydow's character, Jobert, becomes the hero and he's like playing both sides now just so Condor doesn't get murdered basically in Atwood's house. I'm like, uh, okay, I'll believe it. But it seems like kind of too quick of an ending. But again, I think the technicality of a lot of the things that happen in the final third, you just kind of go along with. But I will say we do get one amazing quote from Faye, or at least my favorite quote this movie. She goes, you can always depend on the old spy fucker. I love that too. (laughs) Faye coming through for us. She always does. So if you could give this movie one Oscar, would it be for Faye? It would not be for Faye. It would be for Robert Redford. But the editing that was nominated is not far off. Mm -hmm. I'm happy with how this movie flows. But this is Redford's movie. And yeah, you are struck by him the entire time. The glasses, the coats, the scarves. Oh my god. It's it's a lot. (laughs) It really is. And Three Days of the Condor is a Christmas movie. Mm Mm-hmm. When he's in that store hiding, you hear the carol, too. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. great Christmas movie. Yeah, no, this one's hard. I think I like the Robert Redford pick. I would actually go with editing here. I think that just the way that the film is paced, like, yes, that's also due to the screenplay really working well. But I think having it feel like a slow burn thriller at times, but also so tight and action packed really works for me and yeah I I love the editing here I think it really works in in building the suspense and even in the quieter moments like just with Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway you still feel the tension of the film and I think that works really well well that was our final May Dunaway episode we've gone through yeah (laughs) we've gone through seven Faye pictures which is great it's kind of the Mm -hmm biggest retro we've done so far yeah so i've enjoyed going through some of her filmography and touching on some others like she is in the thomas crown affair remake so if anybody out there recommends other Faye works definitely let us know yeah this was so much fun thank you so much for entertaining this idea and letting (laughs) allowing three episodes on this woman's work she Mm -hmm. is truly just the best and complicated personal life aside she really is one of our crown jewels i think of hollywood and one of our greatest movie stars and i'm so glad that we got to watch these and there are many more films that we could cover and maybe we will in the future like we've mentioned many times we'll talk about her amazing performance in chinatown next year when we do that for the 50th which i am very excited for But next time on Oscar Wilde, we will be talking all about the Cannes Film Festival. We'll be having a recap. I'm headed out there. I'm out there currently, I guess, as this airs. And yeah, I'm excited to dive into the movies out there. Some of the filmmakers that have big movies like Wes Anderson and Asteroid City. 
obviously Martin Scorsese and Killers of the Flower Moon. So there will be plenty to talk about. I cannot wait. And we can compare experiences since you went last year. I am so excited for you. The Cannes Film Festival is the greatest place on earth. I'm not kidding. (laughs) It is like the most beautiful, wonderful experience. And I'm so excited for you to just be in those theaters, walk out of a theater and be on the beach, Mm. interact with all the French people who've been going there for years. It is here the the music that plays before every single feature. Oh, it's just magical. I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to talk about it. Oh, incredible. Well, thank you all for listening. Feel free to rate, review, and follow. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Oscar Wilde Pod and bonus content at patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde. Thank you all for listening. And we hope you have a happy May Dunaway. Get ready for Jane June. She's coming. Oh my god, Jane June! (laughs) Sneak preview. The films of Jane Fonda, coming soon. (laughs) 